0: You're listening to the Harborside Church Podcast. To connect with us online, go to www.harborside.org. We hope you enjoy this message. Good morning, Harborside. Good morning, saints at Harborside Church. Yeah. My father-in-law was here last week and uh, we talked about we are saints in Christ Jesus to the holy ones that Paul addresses to the people in Philippi. My father-in-law was here, and I was was saying, you know, Saint Rob and Saint Dave, and he should have said, you should have said Saint Pip, because she's a a saint to be married to you, Dave. (laughs) I thought, harsh but fair. (laughs) Harsh but fair. Good morning, saints. Welcome to week two of our new series in Philippians, Finding Joy Where You Are. Who couldn't do with a bit more joy in their lives, hey? Who couldn't do with a bit more? Great week last week as we introduced this book. As we met the the first members of the church, we looked at Acts 16. We met those first three members. We saw the gospel transform their lives. We saw a church come to life from nothing. Pretty great. We also met our author, Paul. And today we jump into this letter, fully fledged. We jump into it from verse 3. We're going to see the content Letter, and we're going to witness something really beautiful as he writes to these people. We're going to see, we're going to get a glimpse into a pastor's heart. It's Beautiful. We're going to see a pastor's heart at work. And it's very encouraging. He says this. He says, hello, you know, Paul writing here to the Philippians. He says this, I've been praying for you heaps. I've been praying for you. Have you ever heard those words? I wonder if you have. Have you ever heard those words? Has someone ever said that to you? I'm praying for you. You and your family, you're in my prayers. I'm praying for that particular situation for you. I'm praying for you. Isn't it just beautiful? Isn't it so encouraging? When I, sometimes I, I'm almost brought to tears when I hear people that they've taken time out of their busy lives to bring my needs, my family's needs, before a Heavenly Father in prayer. It's beautiful. There have been times in my life I've just felt so low. And godly men and women have gathered around. They've prayed for me, laid hands on me, texted me, said they're praying. They've called me, prayed over the phone with me, prayed over FaceTime with me, sent emails, written hand, you know, whoever does that anymore, but written letters saying, I'm praying for you. And it's lifted my spirits enormously. Maybe you've had that experience too. Maybe you've had that experience too. You know what? Maybe Harborside could be a place where that kind of thing is commonplace. Wouldn't that be special? I'm praying for you. In this passage, we see Paul praying for people he loves. And we're going to tease out two really special things. First, when he prays for these people, it brings him joy. Why? What brings him joy? We're going to look at that. And second, I don't know about you, but I want to do better in praying for my brothers and sisters, for you guys. How can I do that better? We're going to look at what Paul prays. What's the content of his prayer? How how do we pray for each other well? We're going to look at that this morning. So we're going to look at the reason for joy, the reason for Paul's joy. We're going to look at the reason for our joy. And then we're going to look at how can we pray for more of that in each other's lives? Sounds good. Sounds good to me. I'm excited. Let's get started and check out the first part of our passage, verses 3 and 4. Chapter 1 in Philippians. This is Paul. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. This is a pastor's heart. On display. And we're going to see this even more in our passage. We're going to see it even more in the letter as it goes on. To Paul, these people in Philippi, they're more than just employees. They're more than just people he knows a bit or has worked with in the past. Paul has spent his life investing in these people. Could there be a better investment? He's, he's spent his life investing in planting the gospel seed in them and praying it in and watering it in, and his love for them has grown. Check out verses 7 and 8, right? It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart, and whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you sharing God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Whew, it's pretty intense, isn't it? I mean, it's intense for people of the lower North Shore who aren't particularly great at showing our emotions. That's intense. I have you in my heart. I long for you with the affection of Christ Jesus. What would you do? How would you feel if you arrived this morning at church and I said, Rob, I've missed you. I've longed for you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And I just looked into your eyes as I said that. that would you feel weird? It is kind of weird. <laughs> You'd probably think I'm weirder than I already am, right? That, that is kind of weird. But what does it say about us if we do think that's a bit weird? See, this is really important to highlight here because this is what you must expect of your pastors and leaders in the church. Christian leaders must love their people. Now, I was reading over this yesterday. I just thought, this is like, is this too basic? I mean, I'm just saying something that is so bleedingly obvious. Should I just leave this point out? But I was thinking of praying it through. No, no, this is, this, we've got to say this because it's not actually commonplace. It's not true everywhere. But Christian leadership must be characterized by love because if it's not, it's not Christian leadership. It's a basic point, but it's got to be said. And you know what? I am so lucky. Because all of you are just so easy to love. <laughs> so my job's easy. But seriously, if Christian leaders do not love their people, something is very wrong. It's true for Christian leaders, but of course it's true for anybody who calls themselves a follower of Jesus. You can expect this of me. You must expect this of me, to love you with the affection of Christ Jesus, to love as Christ loved us. Now, this doesn't give us license to walk all over our pastors and our leaders, of course, but our leadership has got to be characterised by love. Last year, I got to go to the UK for a conference. It was great. We had all these little things around the conference, and me and a couple of other young guys got to meet with a really wonderful older man. Um, he's had an incredible amount of influence. He'd be in his 80s now, but he, um, he was part of a church that saw incredible growth Incredible things happen. In, in, about 40 years ago, he inherited sort of a dying and, and, and um, an older congregation. But within 10 years, they were bursting at the seams, planting churches, sending out leaders. And me and some other young guys, we are excited to get some time with him and, and hear how did the transformation come about. How did he do it? What tactics, you know? What strategies did he put in place? And so we were excited to spend some time. So he sat down and he started sharing his story, just talking about what happened. And, and you know what he said? Pretty simple stuff. He said this at the end. He shared the story. And he said to us young pastors, love people, pray for them, teach them. Love, pray, teach. Not eat, pray, love. Love, (laughs) pray, teach. He said, people do not care what you have to say unless you know they care. Unless they know you care, excuse me. Love them as Christ loved you. He was passionate about this. Not because they're beautiful or lovely or wonderful. Not because they can help you bring about change in your church, but because God has put them in your care. Love, pray, and teach. God will do the rest. This must characterize Christian leadership. Of course, it applies to all of us as followers of Jesus, but here is the thing. This is tough. It is hard to love each other. It's much easier just to endure each other, isn't it? It's much easier just to kind of get along okay, to avoid each other if there's conflict, to just say hi in the corridor and smile and nod in the foyer and that kind of thing. But to love each other, it's really hard. God knows that. That's why Paul says in in other place in the Scriptures, bear with one another in love. It's not easy. Much easier to endure each other, to do the bare minimum. But that's not a community of grace. Did Jesus do the bare minimum? No, he gave it all. He gave his life. The word that Paul uses in verse is I long for the affection of Christ Jesus, the word he uses, it actually kind of means I feel it in my intestines. That's what it means. I feel it here. I mean, that's how much he feels for the people that he shared the gospel with that he hasn't seen for a while in Philippi. He's so, he feels so deeply for them at the core of his being We must not just simply endure other believers but lovingly care for them. As I was researching, I came across this quote, and it's great. It's not enough to tolerate other Christians. You must enjoy their company. You must learn from them. Furthermore, this fellowship must be one that is constantly expanding to include other Christians, even those whom you've never met, but with whom you are forever united in the Lord. I tell you what, it's not easy. And only by knowing how much Christ loved us can we begin to put this into practice. Okay, we've started by seeing a pastor's heart. Paul's love for his people and what you can expect, hopefully, from your pastors and leaders. This love that Paul has for these people leads them to pray for them and it brings him joy. Why? Let's check it out. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. What brings him joy is the gospel. Two aspects of it, their partnership with him in it and the source of it. Let's look at the first thing, their partnership with him in it. Verse 5. Verse 4, in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. Verse 5, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Remember back to that little church? We looked at it last week. Paul started in Philippi. Just had three people. Remember? Lydia, the wealthy cloth maker. It had the slave girl who was, you know... Um, had a demon exercised out of her and then the Philippian jailer right so this middle class jailer random bunch of people and you know what's happened to them they've been growing God's been doing something really special in them and they're growing why do you think they're growing because those three are sharing the good news of the gospel and you know what this does it brings Paul joy he plants the gospel in them They are now sharing the gospel with other people, and he is just ecstatic. Paul's life goal is to share Jesus with as many people as he can. Others are doing the same, and he thinks, amazing. It's bringing him great joy. Have you ever um, just connected with someone really quickly? Maybe someone you've met recently, and you've connected with someone really quickly over a shared interest, over something you kind of share. So maybe you're chatting in the foyer of a coffee. You're like, oh, you like stranger things as well? On Netflix, you, you, you've seen season three. Have you seen Chernobyl? It's, oh, man. Anyone seen Chernobyl? We just finished the other day. It is intense. Whew. You connect with people, right? You, you like Gogglebox as well? Oh, I love it. It's my favorite show. You like The Bachelor? Oh, it's amazing. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> it's all TV shows. What do I do with my life? You, may, you like surfing? You like playing golf? When you're a kid, it's like, you like playing? I like playing. We are now best of friends. But it's a bit more sophisticated when we're older. You like surfing, you like... Biking. I mean, that's... And you, you, you quickly kind of... We're, we've got something to share. A shared interest brings us together, doesn't it? I was in a Christian rock band for 10 years, and we were up and down. We loved each other. We hated each other. But we were close. Why? Because we had a common vision and purpose. We are on that bus together all the time, and we wanted the same things. We wanted to write great songs. We wanted to connect with our fans. We wanted to do the best shows we could do possible. We wanted to connect our faith with music and share the love of Christ with people. And you know what? That kept us together through the highs and lows. We had a common vision and purpose and brought us together no matter what. And you know what? It's the same for Paul and the church in Philippi, and it's the same for all of us here. We all share in a common vision, mission, and purpose. We want to see more people encounter Jesus. Each one of us wants to deepen in our faith in Jesus. Each one of us wants to go deeper into the joy of Christ. We want to see more people do that, have that in their lives. We want to proclaim the hope of Jesus to Mossman and beyond. We share in that together. And that brings me joy. It should bring us joy. We're in it together. So what brings Paul joy? Their partnership in the gospel. Second thing, the source of that joy. I'm not talking about barbecue or tomato. I'm talking about the source, which is a terrible dad joke. That was just truly (laughs) terrible. Oh, The source of the, I mean the origin, okay? Be nice. Thanks for laughing. Where it comes from, the source, verse 6. Check it out. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. What's Paul saying here? It brings him joy to see the gospel taking hold of these people's lives. Absolutely. Because it's obvious because they're sharing it with other people. But it brings him joy to assure them that what God has started in them, he's going to bring it to completion. That's not on them. That's on God. And with this little verse we have stumbled upon the great topic of Christian assurance. We could spend all day on this, and I plan to. No, I'm kidding. But it's a massive topic. How can we know that we'll make it to the end as Christians? How can we know? How can we have certainty? How can we have confidence? Because the grace that brought you into God's kingdom is the same grace that will keep you there. Let me say that again. How, how can we know? Because the grace that brought you into his kingdom, is the same grace that will keep you there. God finishes what he starts. God started the birth of the gospel in you, and he's going to see it through. That brings us incredible assurance. And I don't know about you. I can be pretty up and down. Thankful it's not based on me. You know, if you came, if if you know me, you'll know I can be a pretty strong starter. Not too bad at starting things. I'm not the greatest finisher. I'm working on it. Uh, everybody's not good at everything. Pretty good starter. Not the greatest finish. If you came to my house and you rumble through my cupboards, first thing I'd say is, "What are you doing in my house, rumbling through my cupboards?" <laughs> and what you would see is you'd see a bunch of things that. I started, but I kind of got sick of it, and I finished. Things like golf clubs gathering dust. I was going to get so into golf, I worked on I even got lessons with a pro for a little while, it's a while ago now, but I realised it was really hard. And uh, I just, I stopped, or well, maybe if you, you open one of my drawers you'd see some sort of ocean swimming gear. I was going to get into ocean swimming, got the really good goggles and a cap and wetsuit, I was going to get into it. but then. I didn't. You, go, you might go into the, uh, my garage, and you see a surfboard. I was really into surfing for a while, and uh, it's been a long time. I had a picture of my, in my Facebook profile of me surfing, even when it was about six years since I'd actually got in the water with a surfboard. <laughs> but thought, nah, that's what I want. I want people to see that I'm awesome and that I'm surfing. <laughs> that's what we do. But I haven't touched it in a long time. You might go out to the yard, and, and you'll see some Right now, we just moved. See some newly planted plants. I get excited about the garden looking good. I get excited about planting plants, not as excited about keeping them alive. (laughs) So come to my house in a little while and you'll see less excited plants maybe. (laughs) Yeah, I'm not so great at seeing things through. But I thank God that my place in his family is not based on me it's not based on my performance it's not based on what i can do it's not based on what i do now that's not to say we just sit back and do nothing we play an active role in our faith in our maturing in our faith more on that in future weeks but we're talking about foundational stuff here what a shaky thing if my salvation were based on me and you know we can have confidence It is not arrogant to have confidence in this because it's not in myself. It would be arrogant to say, I have confidence in my salvation. It's because it's on me. That is arrogance. We have confidence, not in us, but in Jesus. You see, he is responsible for adopting us into his family. Nothing can change that. Christian, let me say it loud and clear this morning, God has adopted you into his family and nothing will ever change that. My kids... Are my kids, no matter what. My sons and my daughter—they are in our family, and nothing they do will ever change that. They'll always be our children. They can play up, they can dance on this stage every Sunday, they can spit in our face. Mommy's up the back. Okay, you get that (laughs) Speaking of my kids, (laughs) perfect timing. Perfect timing. That was not staged. (laughs) Actually, I don't want to say all this stuff because I don't want them to do these things to me. But this is the truth. They can play up. They can spit in our face when they're teenagers. They can say, I hate you and slam the door. They'll still be my kids. I'll never stop loving them. I'll never stop pursuing them. You know what? They can run away and I will still search for them. And I'll say, son, daughter, come home to your family where you belong. That is the love of our Father. That is the pursuing love of Christ. If you doubt it, look at the incarnation. What did Jesus do to bring you back to the Father? Left heaven, came here to seek you out. You doubt his love for you. Look at the cross. What's God ever done for me? (laughs) Gave everything. How's that for assurance? That won't bring us joy. I don't know what will. Okay. Okay. We've seen why Paul is praying. His genuine love for these people, that's why he's praying for them. We've also seen he's joyful in their prayers because, man, the gospel's taking root. They're sharing it with one, one another, and he's so excited to share with them. They can be just assured of their place in his kingdom because God finishes what he starts. We're going to end pretty soon-ish now. Looking at the last few verses, verses 9 through 11. Check this out. We're going to now look at the content of Paul's prayer. What does he pray? If you're thinking, I'd I'd love to pray for my brothers and sisters better, how can I do that? How does Paul do it? How can we apply it to our lives? Let's have a look. Verse 9, and this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. What's Paul praying? He's praying this, for their love to increase, for the gospel to grow more and more in their hearts, in their lives, that their love for God, who he is and what he's done, would just grow and, as a result, love for others would grow. If someone asked Jesus, What's the greatest commandment out of all of them? What's like the most important? Jesus said this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. The first flows into the next. This must be our desire for our own lives and the substance for our prayer for others. Now, often when we pray... When we seek prayer from others or when we talk about praying for others, it's the immediate things. New job. New job, a promotion, new home, a better boss, healthy kids. Here's the thing. I want to say this loud and clear. That's good. We should do that. Our Heavenly Father cares for every little aspect of our lives. And we need to bring every little aspect of our lives before our Heavenly Father, okay? That's true. Please keep doing that. Please keep doing it for me. Please keep doing it for each other. So yes, we pray God would meet our immediate needs, but may we also pray that he would meet our deepest need and reorient our desires just away from other things, even good things, right, toward himself. So that even when it feels like everything is going against us, we'll still have joy because we'll still have Christ. Because when we have Him, we have all we need. C.S. Lewis in talking about our journey in the search of joy says this, and I think it's helpful. Can you forget? Oh, there we go. Cool, great. He says this. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong. too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling around, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea, we are far too easily pleased. I don't know about you, but sometimes I am far too easily pleased. So may our prayers for ourselves and also each other be that the river of joy in Christ would increase. Because when we find our joy in him and this overflows into love for others, what a community that would be. Because love for God always overflows to love for others. You find a mean-hearted religious person, you find a person whose heart for God has dried up, whose love for God has dried up. Because the more we are, are, are floored by the love of God, the more we are drawn to his mercy and kindness, the kinder and more merciful we will be. What did Jesus say to his disciples? How will the world know that you're my followers? Amazing teaching? Perfect theology? Killer worship songs? No. Good things, amazing things, great things. But no, he said, how The way you love each other. That's how people will know that you're my disciples, by how you love each other. So what's the greatest prayer that we could pray for others? What's the greatest prayer that we could pray for each other? That our brothers and sisters, that their love for God would increase and their love for others would increase. You know what? What a ridiculously beautiful community that would be Having a cycle of joyful prayer, right? People praying that their love for God would deepen and and their love for others would deepen. And then that person is praying the same thing and over and over. And this is a circle of joyful prayer. What a community. Amazing. Would you want to be a part of that? Sign me up. Wait a second. We get to be that community. We get to put this into practice. We get to try it. Now. It's not just some sort of hopeful, oh, maybe some pie in the sky. We get to do this now. We can be this now. We keep saying this. But a church that loves each other like this is attractive to our community. Refreshment for a thirsty world. And let me tell you, our world is dying of thirst. You know, um, we looked at those, those three first members of the Philippian church last week. They're so different. CEO of a fashion label, slave girl, and and like a middle-class blue worker jailer, right? What's weird about it is the fact that they get on and love each other. Imagine if they got together and fought and gossiped and were mean to each other and commented rudely on their Facebook threads. Imagine that. That wouldn't be weird. The world would look at that and say, that's normal. What's weird is they are loving each other as Christ loved them. And Paul prays that this love would give us insight to know how to practically love each other. That's what he means. So it would give us spiritual insight and discernment and not just, oh, I love you. Good to see you. But actually, God, how can I show the tangible love of Christ to my brothers and sisters? It could be, you tell me, I don't know. It could be cooking a meal for them. It could be just text them, hey, I am thinking of you, I am praying for you, what can I do? God, give us spiritual insight that we could practically show the love of Christ to each other. That's Paul's prayer for them. That's my prayer for us. Can we pray that for each other? Paul also prays that we would be pure and blameless. Now, what does he mean by that? He means that there'd be no double-mindedness in the church. There'd be no hypocrisy. Who is over hypocrisy? We are done. I think. People outside the church, we are done with hypocrisy. Wouldn't this just electrify our church? A bunch of ordinary people living out genuine faith, applying the gospel, seeking reconciliation, forgiveness, loving each other. It would be an island of authenticity and transparency in an ocean of pretense wouldn't it? It would be an oasis of genuine life and truth in a desert of fake. Who wouldn't find that community attractive? We're going to finish up here. How do we get there? How do we get there? We ask that Jesus would be the true source of joy in our own lives and the brothers and sisters in Christ in this room that the world would grow dim and Jesus would grow brighter in our hearts. He can take the world, but give me Jesus. Pray that God would reorient our hearts toward the true source of joy, Him.